When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Hip Hop Save My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's sit back because it's time for the podcast. Welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. Now, last week uh, we had uh, the legend Chuck D, so we thought we would follow it up with another legend, uh, a UK legend. Rupert, you're very excited about this. Aren't you? I am very excited. About yeah, you, go on. No, I was just going to say your face. I mean, you sort of got a little cheeky smile on your face because you're, yeah. you're absolutely buzzing, aren't you? Um, yeah, it's just nice to get out of the house, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other thing. Uh, but we are delighted to say we are joined by one of the pioneers, a legend in UK hip-hop. It's the man himself, Blade. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Good. Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. How's life treating you? Um, it's actually, you know, I, I thought when the lockdown was announced that it was going to be like all hell, and but it's been good for me. So, you know, I've achieved a lot. I've moved things a lot forward and I can't complain. I'm, yeah, it's done me favours. Now, you're talking to us from... Your setup that you're talking from now is insane. So, what, so I saw the Instagram video. You did like a time lapse of that space that you're in now. You did a time lapse from like it being this just empty kind of just looked like an industrial room, just concrete and stuff. And then it, it, you you time-lapsed it and you put, you paid for this yourself, right? To get this done and turn it into where, where you're sitting now. To, to give you an idea, you're, you're, to give people listening an idea, you're sitting in basically like a plush broadcasting <laughs> studio now, aren't you, essentially? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not as big as a broadcasting studio, obviously, but yeah, I mean, I put a lot of effort into this. Uh, it's something that I planned from a few years ago. And because I was running my CD manufacturing business, I just couldn't get on with it because I was too busy with the CD business. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear or not, but it got to the yeah, point... Yeah, mate, swear. Fucking swear the fucking place uh, down, yes. man. Fuck yes. <laughs> That's it. Though. You're only allowed to say fuck once. That's the rule. Yeah. Oh, we've, got, we've, got se- we've, got, we've got 17 fucks total across the hour. We've just done <laughs> six of them. Uh, no, you can swear as much as you like, man. Oh, gosh. But yeah, um, with the CD business, I was keeping really busy. And it got to the point where I just thought, you know what? I want to do something else. I want to do something that I feel can help to rebuild the scene, the hip hop scene in this country in particular. Um, and But, you know, there's other, other uh, musicians like singers and rock artists or whatever that don't get the kind of break. So I, I made it my mission to do something about it. And, um, you know, sacrifice losing my CD business and everything. So what, what's the setup there? Like a, stu- a studio, basically? Uh, yeah, do you want us to go wide? We can show you a little bit. Oh, yeah, go for it. Go so, for it. Wow, it's like a cinema. Uh, but there's all the stuff at the back as well. Like, basically, there's all, like, the uh, editing equipment and stuff like that. And mm. then there's a back room as well where we have, like, um, T-shirt printing and stuff like that. So... Yeah, just just keep it really busy. Nice. I mean, I mean, listen, I'm really pleased for you that you've got this nice setup, but it really yeah. does make us look like a pair of arseholes in terms of 
what we've well, no, got by comparison. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ramesh. I'm going to have to interrupt there and tell you, you are proof that you don't need to spend this kind of money because you can use your mobile phone and you can smash it. <laughs> <laughs> So the whole thing is like, you've got a YouTube channel, you're recording interviews with various people. And who is it you're talking to on this on this channel? Is it just people from the world of hip hop or what's the kind of idea? Okay, no. Um, right, for me, uh, I grew up in a time when I was listening to all kinds of music. So I want to support all genres of music. You know, like back, back in the days when I was making music, we used to sample nursery rhymes. We used to sample pop records and rock and jazz and funk and calypso and everything. We sampled it all. That's what we did. So I just feel like if I'm going to do this channel, I want to support all genres of music because, you know, I was able to buy my house off the back of doing those things. So, you know, I just feel it's fair to give back. So, you know, even if I'm not giving back directly to the artists that we sampled and stuff, you know, because there was an art to it. But like if there's rock musicians out there, indie musicians, um, singers, anybody, if, they, if they're good, or even if they're not good, it's not for me to judge whether they're good or not. It's for me to put them out there as much as I can. And then the awareness builds through everybody supporting each other. And once that's there, it's up to the public to judge whether they, they want to carry on supporting that person or not. And my, my theory is if, if, if uh, the fans, the listeners, tell an artist enough times that, look, you're just not that good. Maybe they'll go back to being a fan, you know? Well, but, but, you, but I mean, I know you're saying that, but like, listen, I mean, the truth is, let's talk about your status. Now, you you were one of my first ever exposures to, to UK hip-hop and the idea of UK hip-hop, and, mm. and you were doing it purely for the love of it, right? I mean, you were just doing it to to push out your art. How did you get that determination to do that? Where did that all come from? I mean, look, from, from a very young age, uh, I was separated from my family. So all I had in the words of Al Pacino in Scarface is just me and my balls pretty much, you know? So, uh, so for me, um, when, when I first heard someone rapping, to me, that was like rebellion music. You know, it was, it was people standing up and saying whatever they felt and they didn't have to follow a certain formula. So I, I got into it because um, of the love of it. And yeah. in, in the time that I grew up, like everybody was in it for the love of it. We weren't even thinking about like money or paying bills or whatever. So, you know, as the years have gone on, obviously that's changed and people's objectives and their their reasons for doing things are all different. When you ask someone, yo, I've got this project I'm doing, do you want to be involved? Back in the days, you jump at that opportunity. Now they're asking how much. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all changed. Um, I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying it's like if people stopped for a second and thought about it, you know, the opportunities you can create by working with somebody for the love of it, you just don't know how many doors that's going to open up for you. And how, in the end, you could actually end up being much better off because of the connections you build and all kinds of stuff. So for me, the priority has always been the love of it. That's it. When you, but so what were your goals then? When you started, when you started making your own records, because I don't know if people follow you on Instagram, but they should, because like you, you do tell a lot of stories from back in the day. Like there's a great story that you put up about um, you wanted to get some vinyls pressed up. 
And you you wanted to, is it right you wanted to get the money back? So you basically made it out like the vinyl was faulty or something, so you could get your money back, right? What what can you, t- yeah. can you tell us this story? It's such a great story, man. Oh mate. Right. So basically what it was is I I was offered deals and stuff, but I turned them all down and decided to do this myself because my mission was I wanted to show the world you can do this yourself. Artists don't need labels. And, you know, so I went out of my way to make sure that that message was getting out. And as you saw, as the years went on, more and more people started doing what I was doing. Now, when I went and pressed the record, um, I was confident I was going to sell everything and I was going to repress and repress, but that didn't happen. So there was two situations that arose that made me think this is going to happen. But before that happened, I went back to the pressing plant after about a week of practicing to make the needle jump in the same place you know so i remembered how their setup was in the office and they they had their turntable they had the table that was very similar to mine and i basically sat there and i was just knocking my my knee on the table to make the record skip at a certain point and they didn't see that they didn't see no i mean it was it was i practiced so hard on that to make sure it was really subtle (laughs) and they couldn't clock it so so I, I did that and I just kept doing that and um, like in three or four different places. And I, I practiced so that they basically, in case they said, look, let's listen again, in case it jumps in a different place. Hmm. I practiced to make sure I got it in the same place all the time. <laughs> and I wasn't ready to go to them till I knew I had nailed this. And yeah. like there was something I, I used to do. Like if I'm, if I'm here playing on a, I don't know, a dartboard, it's like I've got this thing where I go like, I got to hit the triple 20 10 times in a row before I can leave and go and have dinner or something. And this is what I was doing with that. I got to get this right 10 times before I go anyway. What was your goal from, I know you're doing it because you love, you love doing it and you're just trying to, just trying to make music. It's purely driven by creativity, but did you have any goals? Did you think I want to break through to this level or I'd love a thousand people to come see me at a gig or did you have any kind of tangible goals that you were trying that you were shooting for when you came when you started yeah um i mean for me it was all about the live performances I, to be honest when i made the first few records i didn't even think about money it wasn't money wasn't an objective it was all about the performances it was all about like i've practiced all these years to get good at what i do and i just want to show it off to the world and that's all it was it's like at the time that we were doing these things you know there wasn't money being made I mean, the odd person, like I used to be partners with, um, with MC Merlin, you know, and MC Merlin went on and signed a major deal. But there was a couple of other people. But in general, it was like, you know, you know that story about uh, the odd person gets out of the ghetto or, or the slums. You know, I, I wasn't thinking like I want to be the one. But certain things happened in my life that made me think, look, I got, I got kids, you know, um, I've got ambitions. And I need to start thinking about this as a job. But the truth is, when I started thinking of this as a job is when the love went and I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Really? So as soon as it started to become a thing that you had to rely on for money, yeah. you got pissed off at it? Yeah, it was, it was not, not pissed off at it, but I saw that, um, I think the turning point was like a couple of things that really happened. Like when the smoking ban came in and I saw mm. that everybody was standing outside and smoking cigarettes and whatever, but they weren't inside because they were outside smoking. So you've got like a venue that's got seven, 800 capacity, 2000 capacity, and half of them are standing outside smoking. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't even know that you're on, you know? Um, so there were situations like that. But also the other thing that made me, um, 
we like think about like I need to retire now is when I actually met you at the UCL gig. Yeah. And I thought, fuck me, this guy's a funny guy. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I went to see just after the unknown came out, uh-huh. the album that you did with Mark B. I came to see you at, at UCL. That that album, Rupert and I actually were talking about it before you before you jumped on the Zoom. Class. What a, mate. Yeah. What a record, man. I mean, what a record. Sometimes it feels like the chips are down, nothing is going your way. You've been recording endlessly, sleepless nights aimlessly. Songs wasted because tapes are gathering dust. Step one, we're talented. Step two, who can we trust? The industry that's full of cutthroats, false hopes, money controls, killer of many souls, anything goes. You know the ropes, but if you ain't part of the clique, you ain't part of the plan, so you might as well quit. Did you know? Well, first of all, can you tell us how that came about? That whole, that whole, because that yeah. felt like you. That was when people I knew that weren't into hip hop had heard of that record. Yeah. You, that felt, yeah, uh, that felt like a big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, it was. And the truth is that me and Mark met about nine, ten years before, and Mark was always asking me to work with him, but I didn't really like Mark's production because, um, you know, for me, I've got an issue with people that just they can't play instruments. And all they do is press a keyboard with a violin side going, (laughs) and it it just doesn't sound musical to my ears. So I said to Mark, change the way you produce and I'll work with you. And eventually after about eight years, I said to him, look, Mark, let me show you how I do it. Because I'm a producer anyway. But look, my, my thing is my beats, like, you know, they're a bit too aggressive and they're a bit noisy at times. So, you know, you program the beats, I'll bring you some loops. So we started working together. And, you know, he would phone me and play me records and I'd be like, no, take that bit, take that bit. So that's how we were working for the beginning. But um, what ended up happening is eventually I heard that. And I mean, this, this, I'm telling you stuff now that only a handful of people know. No, this okay? is good. This is good shit. Okay. Right. So, so I remember when I did uh, You Don't See The Signs and They Are Known and Mark was telling me I need to change the lyrics. And I said to Mark, fuck off. I'm not changing them, <laughs> right? R.I.P. Mark, I love you and everything, but yo, I wasn't going to change those lyrics. What was his reasoning for suggesting the change? What, what was it? What? Um, for, first of all, with the unknown, he said, I'm just talking about the same industry shit that I always talk about. And I went, right. yeah, but I'm doing it in a polite way. Yeah. I'm not I'm not like, fuck this and fuck that. And I'm doing it politely. And if you, if you kind of go deeper into the unknown, it is pretty much a polite fuck you to the industry. Mm, yeah. You know? But you would never see it until I tell you it. And then you go back and listen and maybe think, okay, he politely told me to fuck off. He's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Will I be rated as one of the greatest rappers on the planet? I doubt it. Will Mark be rated as one of the greatest producers? I doubt it. It's not because we ain't good, it's because we're from London. That means we're stigmatized. We can't be original to her with that prehistoric thinking. Just because your ship's sinking, it doesn't necessarily mean that ours is. I'm known for wearing car hard jeans, not ties and trousers. Your lifestyle is safe as houses. Mine is unorthodox. All will ecstasy. We never had no videos on the box. Raps Rambo. One man army had it with your mumbo jumbo. Switching roles, now I'm Colombo. Investigating the scene, exposing all perpetrators. Out there, you compare yourself to Jesus, claiming you came to earth. To save us. But when you don't see the signs, he just told me that the style of rap that I was doing was just rubbish. And I said, cool, it's rubbish. What? I'm not what? changing Are you serious? Are you being serious? Yeah, I am. I am. He told me to change it. And uh, I just said, I'm not changing it. It's, it's not going to change. Hold on, how did, how, did that, how did that conversation 
take place. So how is how is he saying to you, you've got to change your rapping? Um, he just said that he didn't get that whole thing in the third verse where I was like, you know, let's be realistic. You ain't artistic and simplistic, ripping off songs that already existed. You go ballistic. It was like, you know, you're, fitting, you're cramming in too many words into one line. And I'm like, bro, if I could, I'd fit more in. Because that's going to be the new start. That's what people's going to do, you know. So, you know, and look what's happened over the years. More and more people are fitting ex like extreme amounts of words in a bar mm. just to get that extra flow. And, you know, but I was I was doing that from 20, 22 years ago when we were writing all that. And, you know, this, this is stuff that I guess other people wouldn't know because they weren't in the room with me and Mark talking. They weren't on the phone at five o'clock in the morning talking, mm. you know. So, yeah, I just, but there are a couple of friends who were with me when me and Mark were on the phone and they were like, are you serious? It's like, Mark's asking you to change that. That's nuts. That's a hit. When he you know? said that to you, were you annoyed or, or were you just like, that's your opinion, fair enough, but, you know, I, I think it's good or whatever. I mean, how did you approach it? I mean, all I said to Mark is, look, the thing is, I've always gone with my gut instincts and my gut instincts have never really done me a wrong one un unless it's about trusting somebody and you know putting my trust into certain people that end up being funny and weird or but when it comes to music i go with my gut instincts and i'm like mark there is nothing on this earth you could tell me that's going to make me change that nothing i believe in it this is going to buy me the house i've been working for for the last few years that i promised my son you know because i remember my son he was like you know four or five years old and he was like we were on the top floor of this flat and he's looking down at the neighbor's garden and I'm like I, I said to him I made a promise to my son one day I'll buy you a house with a garden and I said to Mark this is it this is the turning point you know and um, and I've got this little tribute thing that I done on um, that we put up on YouTube when Mark had died it's like an eight minute poem um, which I don't know if you've heard or not but I mentioned all of that you know and um, I mentioned about like you know this is the point where you know, my mom had passed away. And, you know, we I remember we were standing at the Astoria and we were doing our album launch. And I, I just said to Mark, Mark, I know you don't believe in all of this, but my mom's here. She's telling me tomorrow our lives change. Hmm. She's telling me that. And that's exactly what happened. The next day, my life changed. So you just, sometimes you just gotta go with your gut instincts, you know? When did you know that out? Like, how well did that album do? Like, I listened to it just non-stop on a loop. I don't have a sense of like how big it was. Like, was it was it really a really big? Yeah, I mean, big success. I, I feel if you're talking, it, it depends how you judge success. Yeah, yeah. So if you're judging it as monetary success, I wouldn't necessarily say it was the most successful album I've done. I've done albums that have got me more money than that, um, you know, and a lot more. Um, but if you're talking about like getting your name out there because you had the machinery, the, the record labels behind you and stuff for the first time, you know, that was evident that once a record label gets behind you, no matter how respected you are on the street level for what you do, like, you know, that was the first time a record label had actually put some money into me. Mm. And, and look what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I walked away from my deal and... When that, when that record label put the money into it, because, you know, Obviously, there's a musicality to that album, but in terms of what you're talking about and in terms of, you know, nobody was listening to the album going, Blade's Gone Commercial. You know, nobody was, you know, like that album was like, it's a proper hip hop album. Do you know what I mean? And like, mm. were the record label putting any pressure on you to kind of change what you did or were they like, just make the record you want to make and, uh, and we'll back it? I mean, what was that? How did that process go? 
Um, I mean, that didn't really come into play till they started sniffing a bit of success. Right, okay. You know, and then it was, the, you know, then obviously we got the, the Feeder remix, which I personally love. I think that record is amazing. Yeah. You don't see the signs because you're blind. You're running out of time. I'm losing my mind. It's a crime. Stand back and watch a professional rapper rhyme. Put the mic down, boy, the show is mine. But I remember something, like, I remember in particular in Nottingham, because um, when, when we were on tour, what we used to do, we used to put a couple of my tracks in there as well. And I refused to do the tour. This is me again, being my idiot self. I refused to do the tour unless I could finish off the, the shows with Survival of the Hardest Working, because that's the Blade Anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I always finished off with that. That was the moment that the place just always went crazy. Let's go, I'm getting overloaded with that junk. You can tell I'm not a punk as I go for the slam dunk. Go for a ride and I might go psycho. Get it together and it might go. And I don't care for Christmas. Step under the mistletoe, what do the hell you kiss? Let's not even waste a second about the 25th. Hell is on earth if you were born with a gift. Up the gap, make a grab, jump in a cab. With the intentions never to pay the tag. Survival of the hardest working. See them at the borderline going berserking. So I remember we were in Nottingham at this small club, three, four hundred capacity, and we went to perform the rock remix. And I said to Mark, Mark, I love that rock remix, but this isn't the place to do this. I said it to the crew, this is not the place to do this. We're going to get booed off, right? It's like, you know, I've been there when that little Cool J got booed off for I Need Love. I was in the crowd. I know what yeah. it's like. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, basically what happened is he goes, no, let's do it, let's do it. So I just said, look, your decision, but if the bottles come flying, I'm fucking off. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we, we started the track. The booing didn't start, but I swear the room must have got half, even quarter emptied. Like as in, oh. it was only, there was only a quarter of the number of people. Yeah. And I went, Mark, put on survival now, put on survival, put on, fuck this track. It's like, <laughs> as much as I love the track, it's not the right place. Yeah. So you on survival and you see everyone running back in. <laughs> really? Uh, that was one of those memories, you know? But yeah, in, in terms of like the, the success level and everything, look, it, it opened a lot of um, avenues for us. And I got to work with like Feeder, you know, which was amazing. I love them guys. Mm. Like, um, you know, um, I, I got opportunities with other big names that I can't really mention, but I'll tell you in private. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there was there was opportunities that opened up. But, at, but the real situation with you asking about the record company potentially changing everything was when I actually got my solo deal yeah. and they wanted me to work with certain people that I just thought, nah, I'm, I'm not doing that. You know, mm. just because they've had um, one track in the charts and they got lucky and it doesn't mean that it's going to work for me. You know, like you've signed me for me. Now let me do what I do. Was that a difficult decision for you to come to? Because you've suddenly got a record label that are willing to back you. There's a lot of people, you know, that you you could be forgiven for thinking, well, fuck it, this is my shot now, do you know what I mean, to make some money out of this. And I've been grinding and pressing my own vinyls and pretending that the vinyl's faulty so I can get my money back, you know, all of that. You've been doing all of that. And now suddenly you're in a situation where you can recoup. You know, you could be forgiven for just going with that. So was there any point at which you're sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'll just do this, man, for like, because... If they're saying this is what's going to work, then maybe it's going to work. But you know what? 
all through my life, all I've heard is horror stories with artists, with record labels and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, you know what? The only person here that's going to get affected is me and my family directly. So I need to make a decision that's going to be thinking about us. So I, I put myself in a situation and I thought, what's the worst that can happen? Now, bear in mind at this time I bought the house. Bear in mind at this time life is looking a little bit, be- a little bit better. And I have to take this decision. Um, I have to make this decision that decides whether I keep or lose that. And, you know, I've worked all my life for that. So I thought, you know what? I started with nothing. I'm ready to go back to nothing. You know, and I spoke to the missus. I mean, there was a point when I was eight days away from losing the house, but I didn't tell the family. And I remember the missus was like saying, it's like, I've never seen you this quiet because I hadn't said a word for four days. Nothing. She was saying morning. I'm just like, mm. and, you know, it got to that point. But something happened. I got lucky and I accidentally stumbled onto the CD business eventually. And that was the turning point. You know, imagine I bought the CD printer and I'm sending my, my um, CDs to radio stations and the DJs are not even talking about the product, they, you know, the, the, the music on it. They're asking me who's doing the CDs. <laughs> so I, I thought, shit, quick, set up an email and tell them we don't talk on the phone, just email. So I yeah. set up the email and people started sending orders. And I'm like, wow, in three months, I made my money back. In eight months, I've just gone and spent 47 grand on new machines. Another four months later, I've got another 60, 70 grand's worth of equipment. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, where's all this coming from? You know, it was, it was crazy. Were you still making music while this was happening? Were you still making your own music or? No, no, I, I had already, what I, I had my, my recording studio. One of the reasons I bought this house um, that I was in and everything that I'm in um, is because the garage was massive compared to normal garages and I built a recording studio in there. Mm. So I spent about 1800 grand, all the equipment and everything. And when I retired, I gave everything away. I didn't waste time selling it because I just thought, if I'm trying to sell it, it's just going to waste a lot of time. And I just want to move on to the CD business quick. Mm. And you know what? I may have lost a hundred grand's worth of equipment, but it wasn't about the money again, because what came back, came back a thousandfold, not even hundredfold or tenfold, a thousandfold. And I didn't just change my life. I changed a lot of people's lives around me a lot. And I'm talking artists I never met getting discounts and massive discounts where they were paying a pound for their CDs. Now they're paying 48p a CD, mm. you know, credit notes when they didn't have the money. And a lot of people robbed me. But you know what? Anyone who robbed me, karma got them back anyway. It's all good. I'm the one still smiling. Have you always been this Zen? You've got a very good attitude. I mean, I can't, it's, uh, is this something you've arrived at? Have you always been like this? Um, first of all, I appreciate that question. It's, um, you know, coming from someone like you, that's, you know, that's kind of heartwarming, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, when, when you've got nothing, you know, when you start with nothing, you've got nothing to lose. So you just go all out, you know, and then, and then like, when you've got things, you treat it every morning you wake up, you, you got to live like you've got nothing again, mm. you know, because if you start feeling comfortable, you, you know, you get complacent. You know what I mean? Like I could have a hundred bags of uh, Walker's crisps. I'm not going to eat all hundred in one go. I might even, you know, I'll eat one because I'm fat now, but, 
I'll, I'll probably yeah. I'll probably help you out with a few of those, mate. You're welcome to come round and help me share these as well. It's anytime, <laughs> but no, look, when when you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose, and anyone mm. who's had nothing will understand that. I'm sure you both understand that, and um, you know you just you just got to believe in yourself and keep going no matter what. How do you feel that? Because obviously, for like people like Rupert and my generation of, of hip hop fans you are revered, do you know what I mean? Because you're legendary, do you know what I mean? And so do you get that from from the younger generations coming through now? Or like, what's your kind of standing with them? I mean, I know you, with the setting up of what you've done now, you're trying to give people a leg up and trying to help new artists out and stuff. But what, how, do, how are people to you now? Um, if I'm being completely honest, um, I think social media has basically turned a lot of people into narcissists. And um, <laughs> straight up, I'm, I'm, t- I'm saying it as I see it. Mm. You know, like you say to people, like, look, let's work together. People are like, why? When I can just pay for an Instagram ad and I can get 10,000 views. But what are those views doing for you? They're not doing anything mm. for you. It's like, do you know what I mean? You've got random people coming to view. Your views are going up. There's your ego being massaged. But where's, where's anything to prove that you've had anything? You know, it doesn't really gain you that much. I don't think it gains you that much. And I've paid for advertising myself and seen it. It mm. doesn't work. You know, it works when you've got a label or someone behind you with money constantly pushing it, constantly, not a one-off. Yeah, it's, one-offs don't work. Um, but for me, when I, was, when I was doing my shows in the early days, like right from the beginning, from Lyrical Maniac days when I was out there touring, what I used to do, and it's, it's just something that's inbred in me, like, and, and it's to do with my own confidence and self-belief that I can invite anybody up on stage, and I don't care if you're a better rapper than me, but I'm guaranteeing you you're not a better performer than me. So, you know, it's like I'm not scared to invite you up on stage and get you to perform. Do you know what I mean? So what I was doing, I used to go on, do my shows, and then I used to also, in the middle of my set, invite local artists whether they're DJs, beatboxers, rappers, anybody. I used to get breakers up on and just go, look, let's, let's do this together. And I did that all my life. So when, when, I was, when I started seeing like these youngsters coming in and I'm hearing a different kind of hunger, a different mentality, and I'm like, yo, these guys have got something. But the reality is 80, 90% of my generation are that blinkered that they're not seeing it or they're just not allowing it. You know, like, let's, let's look and say someone like P Money or Getz or Wretch32, them guys, right? You know, um, Bugsy Malone, like Chip, you know what I mean? Kano, all these sick, all of them, ridiculous, you know what I mean? You know, but a lot of the artists that are from my generation are blinkered to all of these guys. Mm. Whereas I was there doing CDs for these guys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So my connection with the youth has always been there. So I've given some of these guys, you know, people like Tiny Temper. I've given them credit notes. Pay me when you got the money, blah, mm. blah, blah. And, and these are all like really good artists. They paved the way for the, what's going on now. Mm. But, but, you know, this is, this is the mentality I'm trying to get people out of. It's like, fair enough, you're from Norwich and you're bigging up everyone from Norwich. Fair enough, you're from Brighton and bigging up everyone from Brighton. But you know what? That's fishbowl mentality. There's an ocean out there. Go swim. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've talked about this a bit on this podcast in terms of like sort of older hip hop heads sort of feel like, I mean, you've sort of alluded to it, have a disconnect with stuff that's being made now and they and they feel like there hasn't been, you know, that the people, you know, if you talk about other genres, like new rock artists and stuff like that, they come into it with a, an understanding of what's come before them and a, and, a, and a respect for the lineage or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that doesn't happen as much in hip hop. You know, in fact, it, particularly with with the American scene, you have new rappers coming out and going, why do I, I, you know, why should I know who these people are? Why would I listen to that? You know, and what's your take on that? Because there's some people that think, well, actually part of the job of the of the new artist to come through is to go fuck everything that's come before me. I'm doing this my way. Do you know what I mean? But there's another argument that's like, if you don't know where you've come from or you don't know the history of it, actually you can't wield the baton for it. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, what's your take on all that? Well. My, my belief is like, no matter what you do, there's always going to be competition. Mm. You've, like I said earlier, you've got to have that confidence to know that you're better than the competition or you can stand your own with the competition, right? So if you think that way, you're never going to be scared of what's coming, who's better and all that kind of stuff. Now, with regards what you were saying, so if we look at rock music, they would look up to someone like Jimi Hendrix forever. You know, but you are someone like, and I saw this as a problem back in 1996 when I was producing for this girl. I, I was I was doing a track for her and I said to her, right, I'm going to play you this record. And I played her in Arabian Rakim, follow the leader. Follow me into our solo, get in the flow. And you can picture like a photo. Music makes mellow, maintains and make melodies for MCs, motivates to break some everlasting. I can go on for days and days with rhyme displays that engrave deep as x-rays. I can take a phrase that's rarely heard. Flip it, now it's a daily word. And I said, try something like this, you know, like flow your words a little bit more calmly, do this. Mm. She goes, this sounds old school. And I'm like, does this sound good? She goes, well, I don't know. It doesn't sound right to my ears. And I just thought, damn, we're fucked. And that's another fuck I just used. Oh, shit, I just used another fuck. Oh, shit. No, we're good. We, no, we, no, you've broken the seal now, man. You might as well have yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the only people that you're screwing up by having that mentality is yourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah, fair enough. A handful of them might get through and whatever. But imagine if all of us got through. Imagine if we all work together. And imagine that 20 years down the line, you lot are all calling each other, inviting each other to your mansions for barbecues, and your kids are playing with their kids. And this is what I was trying to say to Mark. Like, I, I will, going back to the Mark thing, Many years ago, we were doing an interview at Source Record Label Office. And there was this girl and this guy, and we were doing the interview. 
And the girl said, any shout outs? And I started mentioning everybody. I was like, Black Twang, Moose Maneuver, um, this guy, that guy. You know what I mean? I was mentioning everybody, Klashnikov, blah, blah, Jest. You know what I mean? Um, so I started mentioning everybody. Mark goes, can I, can I talk to you a minute? And he, he pulled me outside. Uh, there was a little roof section in the in the office. And Mark goes, bro, why are you name checking everybody? No one ever name checks you. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't matter whether they name check me or not. The point is, if we don't have a scene. None of us are eating. None of us. You know, and Mark's like, bro, well, you know what? I don't want you to name check anybody. Like, we name check our friends. So he's ready to name check his friends like Vadim and um, Giuliano and whoever. And I'm like, bro, I don't care. Even if I don't know these people. The first time I spoke to Life MC was with an argument. Yeah. Basically, he's going, he realize I'm six foot seven and I'm a big dude. And, and I'm like, do you realize I'm five foot nothing and I'm a small dude? It's not going to make any difference. We'll still argue. <laughs> but you know what? We became best of friends. And I remember someone called me up and they said uh, Life had done an interview. And at the end of the interview, they asked him if he wants to give any shout outs. He goes, you know what? I'm not going to give that many shout outs. I'm only going to name check one person for this interview. And that person is someone that always shouts everybody out, but no one ever seems to name, name him. And he goes, I just want to give a big shout out to Blade. And to me, that meant everything. Mm. You know, because other people could see that people weren't name checking me. I don't know what it was. It's that mentality. He's up there. He doesn't need it anymore. And it's a British disease in the music industry. He's made it. Don't need it. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you've witnessed that for yourself. Yeah. I mean, these fucking people that refuse to shout me out, Blade, these absolutely disgusting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Well, maybe if you change their hairstyle or something, I don't know. <laughs> Well, look, now I've got to ask you about a couple of these stories. So one of the things, uh, is it true that you got stabbed in your leg uh, while on stage? Is this true? Where, where did you hear that? Well, there's a rumor going around. Okay. I just want it confirmed. I like the way you wrangled your way around that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So what happened? I was standing on stage and when I say like from here, to the wall, you've got the turntables and then you've got literally that much space for the stage. So yeah. there's like a little stage area just in front of the decks. And I'm standing there performing, can't move, can't run around, do anything. And I'm standing there and everyone's right up there. And this guy kept yelling out, play this song. And I kept saying, bro, I've only just started. You know, just wait, you might hear it. And he kept doing that. And eventually all I feel is bang in my leg. And I'm like, shit, what the fuck? See, I'm looking there and there's a pen hanging out of my trouser. <laughs> I mean, my reaction, because I kept saying to the guy, and I, sorry, I don't, I'm not violent, but I kept saying to the guy, bro, come on, man, your face is at foot level. I'll kick you in your face. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I didn't say it directly, but I kept saying your face is at foot level. Yeah. And then, and then when I see him like getting more and more aggressive, I just said to him, look, bro, don't, man. You don't want to go there. Um, so, yeah, next thing I know is I've been stabbed in my leg, my left leg, and uh, ended up kicking him in the face. He's fallen to the floor, jumped off the stage, just started punching him up. And everyone that was on the coach with me jumped in. And, uh, yeah, it got silly. Okay, cu a couple of questions. <laughs> first question. Well, it is a lovely first question. First question. <laughs> first question. What type of pen was it? Are we talking like Byro? or is it a fountain pen or what are we, what are we talking about? Um... To be honest, I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't look at it that deeply. 
Um, okay, but, did, but did, you, did you did you pull it out of your leg before you jumped on the gaze or did you go in with it still? No, I mean, basically, what happened is, it's like, because I, I was wearing trousers, so he cut through yeah. the trousers, went into the leg, and the next thing I know is I've jumped in the audience and when, when I got back, I, it wasn't even there, so it must have just fallen out. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I didn't pull it out. Uh, that is crazy. Okay, Imagine yeah. like why? Why are you wearing a pen to a gig? That's my question. Oh, maybe he was looking for autographs. Well, I normally take I normally take a pen to a gig just in case the artist isn't going to play my favourite song. Yeah, that's just true, in yeah. case you got you got to be prepared. It's easier to smuggle in than a knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing. Sorry, so we should say we we. We sent you some questions before. That's that's how I knew about the pen incident. Well, the question was talk about your life. What do you think of live hip hop? Yeah, so obviously, obviously the standout gig was when when I was in the audience at UCL. But this mm. is the other thing that you said that I'm you know, very. You know, int- you know, you know what was funny is when I saw you in the audience, there was a point. I don't know if you remember. We stopped everything, and I went to the DJ and I was speaking, and I go, "You see that guy, that Indian-looking guy? He's going to be a superstar one day." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had it. You, he's waving his pen at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stopped. He said, "Blade, Blade, stop the gig," and said, "Listen, I can feel comedy greatness in the room, guys. I, I you did. don't know what." I'm talking about now you don't know what I'm talking about now but trust me it's coming uh, um, the other thing is that a girl unzipped your jeans while you're on stage is yeah is this... okay okay so um, I think it was in Islington somewhere um, yeah. I went to do a show on a Saturday afternoon not night show it was a daytime show and it was some sort of um, event gathering with a couple of news people and whatever uh, the turnout was really bad like, you know, I mean, you're talking a, a capacity of about six, seven hundred and only about 200 turned up. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting up, you know, there's space and there's people not directly in front and uh, there's people all over the place. And there's this space. So I'm doing this kind of softer song, which is unusual for me. And um, I'm sitting on the stage like I am now. Yeah. And minding my own business, just rapping away every now and then trying to get into it, closing my eyes. And then I open my eyes and I see this girl coming towards me. And I'm thinking, okay, someone's coming to the front. Like, fuck for that. (laughs) You know how that goes. Anyway, she's then proceeded to put her hands in my crotch area and started unbelting me. And I'm thinking, okay, I wonder where this is going. It's another pen situation. And then, yeah. And then then she blatantly said, I'm going to suck you off in front of everyone. What? And that's the point where I just had to jump up and go, no, you fucking ain't. Jesus, I've got a girlfriend at home and all kinds of stuff. It's like... Holy shit. Ramesh, you have that a lot of your like, like stand-up gigs, of course. Oh, mate, the number of times I'll be, I'll be just like in the middle of a bit, in the middle of an anecdote, and somebody works their way to the front of the crowd, says, I'm going to suck you off as you do the punchline. The difference is, though, Blade, is I say, I say yes. I think, that, I think yeah. that would add to this. Uh, yeah, but... Yeah, but, you know... Back then, it was like I was a hip hop star, and I wasn't starved of sex, so I didn't really need it, did I? So. Yeah. Whereas now, I, I, I'd actually, yeah. I'd actually start a show by going, "Listen, just so you know, uh, at any point during the show, I am completely open to to somebody coming up to the front and sucking me off. Just, I'm just going to make that as a, as a as a pre-show announcement. Just, and you, and you don't have to ask. Just come to the front, 
And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll sort you out a T-shirt or something to say thank you. A very different meet and greet, that one. <laughs> well, you, you know, <laughs> well, listen, like I said, I've got the T-shirt printer here and everything. Say, so if you want a penis drawn with it saying, come suck me off, I'll do one. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm doing the suck me off tour. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a shout. <laughs> Are you still across? You still across hip hop now? You still listen to loads? I mean, you talked about P Money, Gets, Kano, uh, and, and Chip, and all those guys. But what are you listening to now? Are you still listening to a lot of hip hop, or what's your? Yeah, okay. If if I'm being completely honest, um, yeah, right. So when when um, I was doing the CD business, yeah, I was burning people's CDs, printing, cutting papers, doing this, doing that, and even though I had someone working for me and everything, a couple of people working for me. Um, you know, I was doing all the work overnight as well because there was so much work coming in. I mean, it was like literally nonstop. Yeah. And it got to a point where all I was doing, because every time someone sent me an order, I would burn them a copy of their master or I would create their masters mostly. And then I would burn a copy and then I would, or five copies, and I would pick a random one and I would listen to it all the way to make sure there's no glitches. So for the last 15 years, right, my job was listening to everybody's, all my clients' audio. So I wasn't really hearing what was going on. I didn't have that kind of time. Mm. But then, you know, obviously I was also getting customers that were sending hip-hop. Like I was dealing with a lot of the customers from the UK hip-hop scene. So I was hearing hip-hop that way. But every time I was speaking to my customers, they were all moaning about, ah, no one helps us, no one does this, no one does that. Yeah. So... I want to understand and things. Yeah. Try and figure out why all these artists are moaning about they're getting no success. They, you know, no one's helping them. Radio doesn't support. They don't get called in to do freestyles unless it's on an internet radio with fifteen listeners and all that kind of stuff. So, so I just thought, you know what? I, someone needs to do something about this. And that's when I started listening to artists and I started discovering like, yo, there's so much talent out there. Like, let's look at like a, a new crew that started from a couple of old crews like Rhyme Asylum um, and Capstan Press. You know, and now my friend Manage, he's got a new crew called Lab 79. They're sick. They're dope MCs. But, you know, they're underground. They're never going to yeah. get the shine that overground MCs get. Then there's a guy that I, I discovered on Instagram, a guy called Barbarian. Mate, sick such a dope lyricist, you know? And, you know, there's people like that. So I'm listening to these guys and I'm thinking, wow. But then I'm looking at the way everyone's conducting their business and I'm thinking, you're all doing the same thing and you've got this, you know, crabs in a barrel mentality and, you know, something needs to change, you know? So I've sacrificed my CD business to try and come into this to do something bigger in the hope that two years down the line, all of these artists are going to get paid for what they do yeah, and they're going to support each other. They're going to understand the level of support that they need to give each other in order to make it happen. You know, other scenes have done it. There's no reason why we can't, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's a dream, isn't it? Yeah. So I want, I want to be in a position where I can turn around and say, look, maybe I'm not giving you discounts for your CDs anymore, but I'm creating an opportunity where you can bring your own revenue. Maybe we can make my channel that channel where record labels will come to to discover new talent. Maybe some of you will start getting signed. And because you're all now talking to each other, maybe they will bring you in. And then you can bring someone else in. And then they can bring... And before you know it, everyone's having barbecues at their houses and everyone's invited. 
obviously that sort of happened with the the grime scene. Do you know what I mean, in terms of that scene, uh, you know, supporting itself and coming up. Do you see? Do you see uh, uh, like lots of great hip hop artists or a UK hip hop artists feeling like they've got to start making a grime sound in order to kind of break through? Yeah, I mean, like there are a couple that will do whatever it takes and whatever. But you know, in my opinion, I think if they don't do it right, it makes them look desperate. You know, like let's just jump on the next thing and so on and so forth. Like you know, you, without being rude to people like Kylie Minogue and Madonna and whatever. You know, those people are shapeshifters. They can co- go from one thing to another and, you know, their fans will follow them no matter what. Like, we're, we're talking about UK hip-hop. We're talking about urban music, like street music. And uh, they don't accept things that's the same way. You know, they're a bit more colder. This is, we're talking, is it um, the Apollo in America? Where, it's, bro, if you, if you ain't on that level, yeah, chairs fucked. are coming at you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, my, my thing is, I've always, like I said, when I, was, when I was telling you the story about when I used to stand on stage and bring people up on stage, you know, I was always about building the scene. I was always about their studios together. But whenever I kept telling other artists, it's like everyone's blinkered. They just, they're all about, yeah, my boy this, my boy that. But they don't want to mention somebody else's boys. It's too clicky. It needs yeah. to change. It needs to change. And uh, you know what? I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting to get everybody to understand what I'm trying to say or to even appreciate what I'm trying to say. And I probably will get people hating me for saying this, but the truth is the truth. And you've already tried it your way for so many years and you failed. Yeah. Change the formula. And and, and are you are you listening to, is there any American stuff you're listening to? Are you into the American scene at all? Um, not really. I prefer the UK scene, if I'm being honest. I mean, you know, there was there were certain American artists I used to listen to back in the day. Well, not certain, a lot of them. You know, like I was into people like Chino XL and Feral Munch, and you know, obviously from even further back, the Ultramagnetics, Public Enemy, and you know, KRS One, and you know what I'm saying. But as time went on, I just started seeing, like, especially in recent years, um, you know, I started seeing that the sound for me, for my ears, I was gravitating more towards, if anything, the grime scene. Because mm. I loved the I loved the energy the grime scene was coming with, you know. It wasn't even about that they're working together and they're making something happen. I was hearing their demos or, or their CDs before they were getting big, yeah. you know. And, and at first I couldn't understand some of it, but as soon as I adjusted my ears to it, I was like, "Wow, see what these guys are doing." So by 2008, I was already like, "Yo, these guys are sick," and I started telling people, "Listen for this guy, listen for that guy," you know what I mean? So, you know, like, I mean, you can't really fault someone like Chip, really, can you? No, I know, I know. And like, you know, you think like with Chip, you know, he, he had that sort of, that kind of pop crossover career, but the guy like, he, he can spit, do you know what I mean? Like he's, he's, there's no doubt about it, the guy can do it, do you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. He's got the skills. Yeah. If three man try link up and do an album, it's not gonna sound like this. Trying to sound like A, trying to sound like Skip and the rest trying to sound like Chip. You ain't been platinum, silver or gold, you ain't even been bronze, you div You ain't even done ten years in this thing, round here we don't hear you're a king, man we'll take your throne Piss on your forehead, know your role, with cold spitters you ain't never been toe for toe Step in the ring, get shown the ropes, tell me what, you believe in God? Kill him off, that's a holy ghost I've never been on no screw face team, got a smile on my face in devilish mold, letting it go Do you still check for those, like obviously like Pharaoh and Chino XL, I don't know if you follow Chino XL on Instagram or whatever, but he's still making music and obviously Pharaoh's still making music. Do you still listen to those guys' newer stuff, or were you sort of like I listened to their old the stuff that they were doing back in the day? And or are you, are you still following them at all? 
Um, you know what? I don't really follow that many people on Instagram. Um, you know, I, I didn't even realize they were making music. Like I said, I was so out of the scene for like 15 mm. years because of the CD business. So I got some catching up to do. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, you know, so I was hearing the stuff that I was doing CDs for. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, you're a comedian, when you do your sketches, you haven't got time to sit back and watch everybody else. You're, you're busy no, touring. You're, no, I can't watch this, these pricks. You know I, mean? I mean, he's got, he's yeah, got exactly. time, Fuck but it's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, Blade, uh, listen, man, we've uh, we've come to the end of our time pretty much, but um, it has been such an honour to chat to you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Like, uh, it's such a great thing that you're doing, setting up this thing, supporting new artists and stuff like that. And um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 so great to see what you're doing, man. I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it like. Basically, a couple of years ago, you messaged me saying, "Is this Blade?" Yeah. So we got talking, and then you said you'll send me the number, and you never did. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, um, funny enough, uh, a few months ago, um, I went on Amazon to buy your book. Right. As good as it gets. And um, as I was buying your book, as, and I put it in the basket, and I'm like, right, should I should I pay for it through here, or should I go on eBay and pay via PayPal, whatever? Anyway, I'm doing that and taking my time. And luckily, I did because I was on the computer, and then your notification came up saying you've gone live. And that's the first time I saw you live. So I thought, right, let me go and check out what he's doing. He's probably not as funny in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just to know if you made the full purchase. That's all just before. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, come on, it's yeah. not even expensive. It was like seven pounds or something. Silly. Oh, wow. So yeah. anybody who hasn't got the book, go and get that book. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's, it's, but, it's out in paperback soon. So, you know, check it okay, out. Okay, wicked. But yeah, so I came into your room and I just said, good evening. Uh, and that was it. And next thing I know is you're like, is this played? Yeah, you know? it was so, it was actually quite embarrassing because I was like, because I saw you come up and I was like, oh my god, guys, this is Black Blades on here, guys. Blade, like he's a legend. He's a legend. Like, so uh... Sorry, I have to say, like the amazing thing is the roles reversed, and you know the the respect for me for you is because obviously back then I didn't know who you were. It was just a fan in the audience, but you know I'm pretty sure I still said hello and everything. You know, so for for it to reverse and you're in the position you're in now and I'm doing something different and I know, it's 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 little it's weird things like that. Like yeah. you know, if you'd have said to uh that really fucking uh, attractive uh, youngster at the UCL watching Mark being Blade in concert if you just said to him you're going to be chatting to Blade in years to come he wouldn't have believed you do you know what I mean but um, yeah. no, but actually he would have done it... I, was quite, I was quite a cocky son of a bitch actually to be honest with you <laughs> yeah but, but you know what you've kept it humble and you are a people person I was saying this to my cameraman earlier you are a people person so you know hats off to you for doing that because not many of us there I've been like that all my life yeah. So seriously, respect for what you're doing, and uh, you deserve all the success you have. And just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it right. Thank you so much. You too, brother. Um, yeah, guys, good. if you uh, Blade is uh, on Instagram, uh, Blade six nine one underscore UK. Go and check out his YouTube channel five twenty one. Um, and 521 is also on Instagram. Blade, thank you so much, man. It's been an honour. We'll have you back again whenever you like, man. We'd love to chat to you again, but take care of yourself, bro. Wicked. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Thanks, man. Hey. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.